Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. You wanted to come with it, done it, we got her with punishment. Youngest is covered and fucking hit her, what we coming with? Others in love with the drug and this family is running it. Long as the public is coming, then we keep them coming in. Derrickson and joined this week as always by Tim Daniel. Yo! Sean Mackey. Hey Alex. And joining us this week for our Detroit Pistons preview from the SB Nation blog Detroit Bad Boys, Mr. Sean Corp. How are you doing? I'm good. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the internet, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, first time. First time, long time. Before we get started, this is the Detroit Pistons preview. Sean, go ahead. Let, t- t- tell us about yourself. Oh, geez. Um, I've been writing about the Pistons for about five, six years now. Been a fan since I was a little kid, sort of off and on, and then really got into it for some reason when Jerry Stackhouse joined the team around turn of the millennium. Nice. And uh, I've been an absolute diehard fan ever since. Um, I live in Michigan. I work for the wonderful Michigan State University, and uh, excited to talk about the Pistons. Well, before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping and the usual rigmarole. This is 48 Minutes. It does post each and every Thursday and or Friday on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you're hearing, click the subscribe button, write us a review, rate us on iTunes, help us in the awful, awful Apple algorithm to help us get discovered. Gotta make the joke, we are the fifth most popular podcast with the number 48 in it. So, this helps us out. If you like what you're hearing, give us a hand. Go to 48minutesnetwork.com where you can read the articles we've been writing and listen to our older episodes of our podcast. But let's just get right into it. The Depistons finished last season, 37-45, and 10th in the East. You've added Avery Bradley, you've drafted Luke Kennard, You've got returning Stan Van Gundy as the coach, or as I will refer to him probably for the remaining of the show, Stan Van Gumbo, because I can't help myself. How are you feeling heading into this season? How are you feeling at the end of last season? Kind of, you know, what's, what's, what is your view in the Pistons landscape? Well, I can't help but be somewhat of an optimist, but I would be lying if I didn't say last year was a really tough year as a Pistons fan. They won 44 games the year before, and just about everything that could go wrong went wrong last season. So, actually, part of the optimism is somewhat of a sense that that had to be rock bottom. It can't really be worse than it was last year, and they still won 38 games. So, I see a lot of people writing off the team as sort of uh, an also-ran or maybe just something that uh, 38 wins was their real talent level, and I I don't really believe that. I think they're closer to that 44-win team they were two years ago. And, I mean, just kind of looking at the Pistons' history and everything, post, like, the Flip Saunders, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals appearances, uh, it, it seems Detroit's kind of, like, been missing an identity, in a way, since, like, that, that core roster. Uh, would you agree, or do you think this is a team finding its identity? Well, I think they were a team missing talent. And uh, it's a lot easier to forge an identity when you actually have talented players. Sure. 
they didn't have that. They had Ben Gordon, Charlie Villanueva, Austin Day, Josh Smith. That's that's not talent that helps you get any sort of identity. Um, so since Stan Van Gundy's come on, on he, they've become very much a Stan Van Gundy team. They prioritize defense. They prioritize rebounding. They uh, always defend in transition, and they play extremely heavy pick-and-roll basketball, and uh, that can work when you have players like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson if they're both healthy. And if they're not healthy or not engaged, you can have a real horror show, which is kind of where they were last year. So, Sean, this was the last year at the Palace of Auburn Hills. How are you feeling about this move to Detroit well, when the Pistons were sort of in the their heyday, the going-to-work era with Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, all them, they led the league in attendance every single year. I think the fan base kind of was ready to say goodbye for a little bit once that team really ended, and ever since, they've just been near the bottom of the league in attendance, whether they were good or bad, and... Uh, I can't really fault the team for wanting to move to Detroit and be downtown, but I grew up with the Palace. It was a great stadium up to the very last year of its existence. It was a great place to watch basketball. It was a great community. So I will definitely miss the Palace of Auburn Hills. I will uh, miss the ease of actually getting into the city and getting into the stadium. But, you know, that's kind of how things work in today's modern sports complex a lot of history in that old arena. A lot of it. Like, I feel like the, the best years of the Pistons were there. They were there since, I think, 78. Is that right? Um, that sounds about right. I mean, they won three ti- They won three NBA titles at the Palace of Auburn Hills. They established... I, I couldn't even tell you off the time. I had maybe three or four Hall of Fame players. More if you're going to consider that... Uh, Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace should be in the NBA Hall of Fame, as I do. I agree. Um, Same here. And uh, there's just, you know, there's a lot of iconic players that had their best years at the Palace. And, uh, again, it it set the standard for basketball arenas. It was completely privately financed by their owner, Bill Davidson. And sort of somewhat of the comfort I can take in the fact that they're splitting an arena with the Red Wings is that they're not screwing over the taxpayer quite as much as they could. Uh, That's nice. That's a fun fact. <laughs> well, it, it would be even better if they stayed in their privately financed arena that was completely paid for. <laughs> I knew it was going to go there. <laughs> well, I mean, on top of that, you had the most iconic sports fight of all time at that arena, too, which will live on through YouTube for, you know, the rest of our lives. And I feel like every year I go back and I look at that fight at least once. And what what are your thoughts on that? Are you are you is it not a proud moment for Detroit fans or are you? Well, I, I mean, it was certainly not a proud moment. Um, I was watching it live. I was in college, sitting in my very small dorm room. I after about five minutes, I called my then girlfriend, now wife, and she ran over to my room to watch it with me, and we were talking about how crazy it was and it just was endless i think that's that's the thing that i'll always remember about that thing is because you've seen fights before and they break up after 20 seconds but that thing just continued to explode 
in ways you could have never predicted, and it was just, it was unbelievable. We'll never see anything like it again. I know. And, and from, like, a fan, fan's perspective, and I guess franchise perspective, too, uh, from, like, an outsider, was, was there a stigma kind of attached from there, or was, like, was that, like, a hard thing to shake? Oh, I mean, of course. People thought it was a bunch of Detroit trash. Uh, you know, Detroit has a bad reputation already. To then take a situation where 15, 19,000 fans just saw a six foot eight Ron Artest run into the stand and start wailing on a, a fan. Uh, I don't really blame the Pistons fans that reacted harshly. Um, and you saw a lot of the Pistons players kind of trying to keep the peace. I mean, certainly in ways that Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal weren't. Obviously, I'm biased. No, but... no. I, I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was a shining moment for Rasheed Wallace to kind of show that he's actually a good guy. He was, from the very first moment, trying to separate fans from players, trying to drag players who were probably his friends away from what was going on. So, you know, the reputation was uh, harsh. The condemnation was harsh. But if you look back and watch, other than uh, an obviously pissed off Ben Wallace, who was probably a little more upset than he needed to be about getting smacked in the back of the head, uh, they didn't really do anything that I can look back on and feel like regret about. So, uh, talking about the current Pistons and what's going on there, obviously we know at the point guard position, Reggie Jackson's the guy, that's the game plan, and it makes a lot of sense, obviously, but I want to talk a little about Ish Smith. Uh, this is a guy a lot of people have really had you know, high regards for. You've heard a lot of things, a lot of people expect him to break out from year to year. Uh, what is your expectation now? Obviously, he's going to get a little bit of kind of being the lead guy for a little bit of that position with circumstances, but uh, what do you expect to see from him moving forward and possibly, you know, where he advances this year. Well, uh, as in regard to Ish Smith, he had what I would think could be considered his best season ever last year. Uh, it was his first season on a team where a team really committed to him. People thought the Pistons way overpaid Ish Smith by giving him $6 million a year. But I think uh, Stan Van Gundy showed that he saw things in Ish Smith that really fit into his system. And those things were uh, not a jump shot, because even though he had a career year, he is still terrible shooting the ball, really. But he is a guy who is just lightning quick, will always run the floor, take advantage of any open seam, and uh, he really, the way he plays facilitates ball movement and people movement among his teammates in ways that I don't think you get out of a Reggie Jackson. So I think his teammates really liked playing w with him. And uh, he was really effective as a point guard. I, I think he still works better as a backup, but uh, I was really pleasantly surprised with what Ish Smith brought to the team last year. And uh, follow up with Stanley Johnson a little bit. Obviously, he's really well known throughout the league of being the guy in the playoffs that said he's not afraid of LeBron, which was awesome. Um, but he also, this year in the OVO game in Toronto, had a game where he dropped 86 points. Do you think maybe that could be his Kevin Durant Rucker Park game that'll be his legend? No. <laughs> Is it okay to just say no? Um, if you if you watch highlights from that game, obviously it was not a super intense game. 
that being said, to score 80 plus points in any context is pretty impressive. But uh, Stanley Johnson was playing a very Stanley Johnson type game uh, from what it seems from those highlights, which is sort of, uh, he's kind of a, a bully ball type player. He uses his strength and his speed and uh, he wants to basically dislodge you from your place because that's where he wants to be. So it wasn't like he was uh, crossing people over so much. He was sort of just uh, keeping a full head of steam going and doing whatever he wanted on the court. And just kind of like looking over the roster that, that Detroit has heading into the season and everything, it's, it's advantageous being in the Eastern Conference this year. It's uh, because, I mean, especially given the trade that's just happened, it's, it's Cleveland, it's Boston, it's Toronto, and from there, it's the, the, the Eastern Conference is like the wild, wild west of the NBA right now. It seems like it's pretty open from four on down. Do you think there's room for Detroit to experiment with, like, depth and the roster and everything, or do you think everything should kind of just be set in their ways, uh, just given what the East is? Well, I think there'll be some natural experimentation, only because there's some holes on this roster uh there's depth in a lot of places but it's the kind of depth where it seems like there's a lot of uh b b plus type talent and so it's up to stan van gundy to figure out how that talent can best fit together there's a a you know a good sense that andre drummond's going to start at center reggie jackson's going to start at point guard navy bradley is going to be your shooting guard who starts at those other forward spots is a very open question, and it really depends on how Stan Van Gundy wants to form his rotation, which units he wants to primarily feature in the backcourt, how he wants to stagger his lineups and things like that. I mean, you can make a good case for four different players, maybe more, to be the starting small forward, starting power forward combination. Sean, uh, so... This offseason, the Detroit Pistons decided to let Contavious Codwell-Pope go. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, two years ago, I mean, he was kind of looked at as a, you know, kind of a <clears throat> kind of a corner piece of this of this squad. And um, can you kind of go over the uh, the reaction with that with with Pistons fans? Because I I was kind of surprised they let him go. Well, I think what surprised me, and I'd be interested to hear from sort of people that aren't attuned to the Pistons as much as I am, is uh, a lot of Pistons fans were really surprised at the sort of condemnation the Pistons took for that deal. Uh, there's a lot of KCP fans among the Pistons fan base for good reason. He plays very hard. He's a skilled player. He's a very good defender. Uh, but he had a lot of holes in his game that were uh, preventing Detroit from really maximizing their effectiveness, especially on offense. He's a streaky shooter. He's not super efficient. He doesn't do a ton uh, with the ball in his hand. He's basically a guy that ran the floor really well and could hit a three at a decent clip, but he could get hot and cold. He didn't really get to the line or anything like that. So... Um, going into the offseason, I think Pistons fans primarily were ready to re-sign KCP and essentially give him a big contract in the hopes that he would continue improving, uh, not really paying him based on what he had already accomplished, but saying, you know, you're only 23, 24 years old. 
we think you're going to get better. You're going to get a more consistent three-point shot. You're going to build your offensive game. And by the time you're in year two or three of this contract, we're going to look like geniuses for signing you. But a small part of me was very scared that if that development never happened, you have a, a mini sort of problem contract on your hands. Sort of the, the good case scenario would be a player like Bradley Beal, who never really put it together, uh, but he always showed promise. Then he signed that huge deal. And in that first year of that deal, he basically played like a, a surefire all-star. So that was like the best case scenario of what you're going to get from KCP. But the downside was pretty severe. So when you have a chance to sort of have Avery Bradley in his place, which I consider Avery Bradley a, a better defender than Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and that's no slight on KCP. It's just Bradley's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. He's also a more dangerous, more consistent three-point shooter, and he's not that much older. So I looked at that as sort of a, a talent upgrade at the shooting guard position, and I'm not really sad at all that they made that kind of move to to not give KCP that 85 90 $100 million contract and instead take that uh, known quantity in Avery Bradley and see where you're at in a year when he's a free agent. I agree. I think I, the Lakers paid $18 million for him, which to me seems like a lot. And you're right, he's a great defender. He can shoot well and everything. Do you think uh, you think he's going to bring his A game to L.A. this year, or do you think do you see him dropping off this season? Well, I think he's pretty much in a, a very good spot to really capitalize and get that long-term contract he was hoping to get this year because I think uh, – one, the Lakers are not going to be that good, yeah. so you're not going to see opponents bring their A game to the floor against the Lakers. They're going to play very fast. They're going to rely on KCP for a lot of offense. He's going to have the green light to do basically exactly what he did in Detroit, which was shoot five, six, seven three-pointers, even if you're not making them at a high clip. And I think... Uh, Luke Walton's a good enough offensive coach that he's going to be able to put KCP in places to succeed. And much like, th there's a lot of debate about how really quality of a defender Caldwell Pope is. Some people think that he only looked really good because he was surrounded by some pretty poor defenders in Detroit. And that may be the case, but if that's the case, I think it'll be the case in LA just the same. So I, I see him playing a lot of minutes playing at a very high pace, scoring a lot of points, and still showing off his defense. And then, uh, you know, all it takes is one suitor with a deep pockets, and he could get that big contract he wanted. And so, kind of like post-draft, how are you feeling about Luke Kennard as an addition to the team? Um, well, I think I'm contractually obligated to mention Donovan Mitchell right now and how well he played and how he was available and how depressing it is that the Pistons didn't grab him. But with that being said, um, Luke Kennard played a really strong Orlando Summer League. Obviously, Summer League is not worth that much. Uh, basically, as long as you don't stink it up, then it's basically like it meant nothing. It's only a, a warning sign if you can't even be effective in Summer League. Uh, but he played really well. He did a lot of the things that he was sort of as you got deep into the draft process and were really determining uh, who would be available, Luke Kennard was one of the obvious places to look for Detroit. And if you looked at his game, 
he's a lot more than a spot-up three-point shooter from Duke who's white, which is, I think, the the canned perspective people have on him. He was, you know, surprisingly athletic. He does a lot with the ball in his hands. He's got a pretty tight handle. Um, he's not going to be a point guard or anything, but for the Pistons, who had uh, some very big deficiencies as far as spot-up shooting, uh, perimeter threats, and secondary ball handlers. He made tons of sense for Detroit as a draft prospect, and he showed all of that in spades in Summer League. So I don't know how many minutes he's going to get because they have Avery Bradley, they have Langston Galloway, they have uh, Reggie Bullock, they have people that can play that shooting guard position. So uh, it's going to be tough to get him minutes in his rookie year, but... I've I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far. So what's what's missing from this roster? So if if you could add no financial expense to the team, but you can't pick like a superstar, what what player is missing from this Pistons roster? Well, I mean, the fundamental problem with Detroit is and you know, one of the things that I think Van Gundy gets kind of raked over the coals for is exorbitant contracts for these mid-tier players. People get real upset that he paid Boban, Boban to sit the bench. Langston Galloway got $7 million when people thought he should have got 4 or 5 or something like that. But uh, all of that stuff is really cosmetic, and the real fundamental issues are always going to be around the fact that he's building a team around Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson. And everything around those two players is fixable, but if one of those two players is broken, either from a talent perspective or a health perspective, the team's going to have major problems. And so as far as what adding talent, I don't know if it's about adding a super-duper good player. I think it's about determining is Andre Drummond a player that can be a quality defensive big man who's the best rebounder in the world and uh, only shoots really high percentage looks. Right now, he's not that. Is Reggie Jackson somebody whose uh, degenerative knee condition, uh, is that going to rob him of the athleticism he needs as a pick-and-roll attacking point guard? Cause, and he doesn't play any defense either, even when he was healthy. When he was injured last year but still playing, he was probably the worst defender in the entire NBA. So... When you have those fundamental problems at the point of attack and at the rim, there's not a lot of lipstick you can put on the pig, so to speak. I mean, you're going to have real fundamental issues. And they have talented players. I mean, Avery Bradley's going to be good. KCP was good last year. Tobias Harris is really good. Marcus Morris was good. They had good production for Mish Smith. John Luer, for as much as fans hated him or hated his contract, he was the second most efficient player on the team last year, uh, going by true shooting percentage. So, I mean, they have fundamental problems with uh, efficient shot selection, but their real, real issues are always going to boil down to Drummond and Jackson. Sean, uh, going back to Andre Drummond, um, last summer he signed a five-year, $130 million contract. Uh, His numbers statistically dropped off a little bit. Um, He's going to be there for you know, another four years. What, uh, do you see him finishing that contract there? And if he, he's, I hear him being, you know, thrown into trade rumors all the time. If he was to be traded, what would you like to get back in return for a player like Andre Drummond? 
Well, okay. Uh, is he going to stay there? I think he will stay there as long as Stan Van Gundy still believes that he could be uh, average or better defensive big man. Okay. The, the m- moment Stan Van Gundy determines that there's no way that Drummond is going to develop those defensive skills, he's going to look to cut bait as soon as possible because Van Gundy needs a defensive-minded big man. I mean, that's how his defense is designed, and that's how it remains effective. So if Drummond's not that guy, then the team needs to move him. As far as what you get back, I mean, it's very hard in today's NBA to get a lot back for a big man because so few teams go small. Uh, When you have a guy the size of Drummond, he can get kind of run off the floor or he can get um, sort of abused at the perimeter if you're playing small with a a stretch five. So it's kind of hard to say what you could get back from. Uh, In the best case scenario, essentially, you'd think about a team that decides, well, the only way we can really match up with Golden State is if we, instead of going small, we went big and absolutely owned the boards and gave them no second chance opportunities. So then you'd be thinking about a team that thinks they're a contender, has a few extra uh, young assets to spare, and views a drum and move as an all-in type proposition. So with all that being said, and, and all the talk of the roster, the roster moves, additions, subtractions, and everything... You can put on your your brightest optimist hat if you so choose, but where do you see Detroit finishing this season in in this wacky Eastern Conference? First, <laughs> perfect. No. You 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 spared no expense on that optimism. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I personally think that they're closer to that forty four win team they were two seasons ago. Um. I'm banking on the fact that Reggie Jackson can return to health with a full offseason of rehabilitation and strengthening his knee. Um, other players have come back from this uh, knee issue that he suffered through and been effective, so I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility. And if you look at the way Drummond and Jackson were effective two years ago together, uh, you see they were essentially the two most important pieces to the team's success. Last year, they were actually the two most damaging players on the entire roster. Uh, So a a big part of me just wants to kind of consider last year a wash. Uh, So if the baseline is that 44 wins, the East got a little worse, uh, obviously, and perhaps the Pistons got a little better as far as um, putting... Complementary pieces that make more sense from a, a team effectiveness perspective as far as Avery Bradley, Luke Kennard, Langston Galloway. They're all three-point shooters, which is obviously uh, the Pistons' biggest deficit. Um, I think in a best-case scenario, you're talking about a, a 45-47 win team, and you're they're basically that tier below the top, top of the Eastern Conference. So you're talking the team below, I would say Cleveland, Boston, and probably what, Washington or Toronto? Sure. Worst case scenario is uh, Drummond and Jackson play so ineffectively that they basically become untradeable and uh, the team completely collapses. 
and they would win something akin to 35 games because they're not even bad enough to tank. And it's just an absolute excruciating thing to watch, kind of like last year. So, uh, Sean, a uh, question here now is it looks like the Pistons before the season unveiled their new, well, I guess, new logo for the the season. My question to you now is as we get closer and we bring back this bad boy style logo, how close are we to this beautiful, gorgeous teal jerseys with the horse <laughs> on them, the Grant Hill special as I call them? How close are we to that? Is that happening anytime soon? Well, doesn't each team have, like, five jerseys this year? Yeah, they haven't unveiled them all yet, though. Yeah, something tells me that friggin' horse is gonna come back. <laughs> uh, what, what is the significance of, of the night chess piece on the jersey for Detroit? Horse power. Oh. Okay. I have not put it together in, like, 20 years. If, if this happens... I've just been like, Detroit must be really methodical. <laughs> If this happens, and if, if we do get those, those horse jerseys back, can we get Tobias Harris or Felas? Oh my god. that would I would personally think that was great because it would make me think about Grant Hill. Right. Uh, he was like the player when I was young, when everybody needed a starter jacket of the Teal Pistons uh, logo, and he was in all the Sprite commercials. He was like my hero. So, bring back those feelers, bring back the... I'll take the teal jersey if it means that Tobias Harris wears feelers on the court. Yeah, I'm down. Like so, t- talk about Grant Hill, like you mentioned, being just an honor, you know, the guy for you. He was one of the guys for me, too, when I was a young kid growing into love and basketball. What really is the Grant Hill Detroit Pistons legacy in your eyes? Well, it's almost unfair because... A, they were stuck in those god-awful jerseys, of course. Beautiful, you mean? Uh, <laughs> right, I misspoke. Uh, <laughs> two, they weren't very good. Like, he deserved a better team around him because he was he was a true super, super duper star effective player on the court. And what I really think about is, what if Grant Hill of 1995 played in 2017? Like, Think about all the things he could do on the court. I mean, he was he was like the definition of a point forward who was efficient and your number one scoring option who basically uh, had a high usage, uh, high efficiency combination and could uh, be anywhere and do anything on the court. I mean, players just weren't used in that way back then. They were kind of very, everybody had kind of a cookie cutter mindset as far as this is what a point guard does. This is what a shooting guard does. This is what a small forward does. But now I think about young Grant Hill running up and down the floor as a point guard who's also your starting power forward and just thinking about how crazy he would be averaging 25, almost 30 points a game, six rebounds, six, seven assists. I mean, it, it would be amazing. And I wish more people saw Grant Hill in his prime before he got injured, but Detroit was not leading off many TNT broadcasts back then, and there was no league pass. Well, Sean, thank you for having us, but before we let you, or yes, thank (laughs) us for having you. I don't know. (laughs) Fuck it. I don't care. So, before we go, 
Final segment for this show. I'm calling it Fan Wagon. We've asked every guest for the season preview. I don't know if you know the whole story, but Tim, Sean, and I were, were very, very diehard Bulls fans. And, and Gar Foreman and John Paxson grabbed, grabbed us by the belt loops and the shirt collars, and they threw us under the bus, right? So, my question to you is this is the part of the show where you sell us as fan-free agents why we should support the Pistons this season. Because from a Pistons fan perspective, being a fan of the Bulls is like the dumbest thing you could possibly do <laughs> in your entire life. <laughs> that was the kind of response I was waiting for. Yep. Personal personal issues aside here, putting put in bygones be bygones. If, if okay. I wanted to go and buy a Ben Wallace jersey or a Tobias Harris jersey, why why should I go yay Pistons this NBA season? Uh, I think the Pistons have a legacy that few teams at a market this size can compete with. They're not one of those major market teams. They've always won it with sort of underdogs, those grit-and-grind type players. Even when they had Isaiah Thomas, the reason they were effective were players like Bill Ambeer, Rick Mahorn. Joe Dumars. Uh, right now, they have a legacy of three championships. That's something few teams can compete with. Uh, they have a top-tier coach. They have a coach with, I think, a, a lot of job security uh, and a lot of cohesion on their team. I think even if it doesn't work out right now, the franchise, the general manager, the coaches, they all know and have the flexibility and the balls to make the big move if it means trading Andre Drummond, if it means trading Reggie Jackson. I don't think they're going to be afraid to do it. And if it works out, what you have is one of the premier pick-and-roll coaches, one of the premier pick-and-roll point guards, one of the premier finishers in the NBA, who's also the world's greatest rebounder, surrounded by team, uh, players that can hit an open three now, and Stan Van Gundy teams always defend whether it seems like they have defensive talent or not. So you're going to have a high defensive effort team who uh, has a few highlight plays and hopefully a semblance of a modern, efficient offense this year. All right. I will take that into consideration. I don't think and, you believed anything I just said. No, I, I, <laughs> I am enjoying doing this because I am totally fan agnostic this year. I feel like the first time ever. and Feels great, doesn't is, it? It is such a weight <laughs> off my shoulders. So how to, many of the Jordan titles would you give back just to get rid of the leadership of the Bulls? Uh, the Lakers one. <laughs> yeah, I, I would give them the, that's I would an easy give one. the Lakers one. Yeah, the, the Lakers one for sure. Uh, I could wipe some memories of the Blazers one from my mind. Uh, maybe a little bit of the Suns one. I don't know. I really don't like... I don't really like the mole face that's running that organization right now. So it's, it's, I, I would probably give up more than I would be willing to give up, like, say, like, maybe like six hours from now. It comes so wait, and goes. So as, as pissed off Bulls fans, are you in the mindset where you don't want Dwayne Wade to get any of his money if he doesn't want to be there? Or are you of the mindset that just pay him to go away? I don't care what it takes. I don't care about. We don't it. care they, anymore. Don't care. They, 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 they <laughs> fucked up enough. Yeah. They can just pay him to go away. If he doesn't want to be there, 
I just good. Nothing Get nothing out. matters anymore. Nothing matters. He could God, I have, he could I have so many bulls questions now. This is the, so fascinating. The, so the N in our NBA now stands for nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anybody on the Bulls roster that you guys like? No. They messed uh, they, they messed up the draft. No. So bad. Wink Monk was. You talk about the whole Luke Kennard thing of people singing it down to the Mitchell. Yeah. We were all about Malik Monk at, at that pick, and they took, obviously, Laurie, not Malik Monk, Laurie Markinen. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was bad. It's like the opposite. It was a bad night. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I, was, I was all aboard the Butler train choo choo, but I mean, that sense is, that is, that's left the station. <laughs> so. So do you take any solace in the fact that the Butler trade was not as bad as the Paul George trade? Or do you not no. even believe that? No, no, because I would rather have Victor Oladipo on this team anymore. than that. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, <and> that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, that's awful. Don't get me wrong. I think I like Zach Levine, but I mean he's recovering from an ACL injury and he's gonna be there alone with Bobby Portis. I don't and Robin Lopez and weirdly Dwayne Wade for at least probably a few weeks. So and Cameron Payne and Cameron Payne, I forgot yeah, about so Cameron wait. Payne. I'm exposing my ignorance here, but who's going to be the starting point guard? Chris Dunn. All of them. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, all of them at some point. Jaron Grant, Chris Dunn, Campaign. Somehow Isaiah Cannon did not make the team this year. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> impressive he didn't. <laughs> and then the kid, the guy that signed on the two-way contract, I guarantee he gets starting time too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, don't worry. You guys have Denzel Valentine. Great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. He's a, walking any... tri- he's a walking triple-double. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like hey. unathletic threes. As long as he can walk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, didn't say he was, right now. I didn't say he was going to run. <laughs> he's going to walk his way to a triple-double. <laughs> well, Sean... Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of 48 Minutes. Where can the underground lizard people of the world find you on the internet? I am at Twitter, mostly at the Detroit Bad Boys handle. You can always go to DetroitBadBoys.com and read all the crazy things we're writing to try and make this team sound interesting. (laughs) Well, this has been 48 Minutes, Episode 5, Detroit Pistons Season Preview. Check us out, 48minutesnetwork.com. Follow us on Twitter at 48minutesnetworks, network spell without the vowels. Like us on iTunes, subscribe to us, give us a review, help us out, help us help you. And as always, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Sean. That was weird. Hail Hayward, and good night.